Welcome to the Field Dynamics Podcast. We're here to facilitate inspiring dialogues about the nature of consciousness across disciplines, communities, and practitioners, all with a holistic perspective. From energy healing to somatic therapies, from neuroscience to meditation, we believe the most interesting things happen at the boundaries of disciplines. I'm Christabel. And I'm Keith. Thanks for joining us today and enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to the Field Dynamics Podcast. Today, our guest is Scott Zamarut. Uh, Scott is a practitioner and teacher of somatic and energetic healing arts with over 33 years of experience in the field. His training background includes massage therapy, polarity therapy, private mentoring and structural integration, group leadership and dynamics, and ontological coaching, all of which support his current work in biodynamic craniosacral therapy and pre- and perinatal education and healing. Scott entered his teaching path in 1990 with polarity therapy as a student and teacher trainee in the first biodynamic craniosacral therapy training with Franklin Sills. Scott is amongst the longest tenured teachers in North America. He was also fortunate to work extensively in the pre and perinatal field with Carlton Terry, who mentored directly with William Emerson. These two streams of healing work are alive as the core focus of Scott's healing and teaching practice. Scott served as a founding board member of the Biodynamic Craniosacral Therapy Association of North America and is a past vice president of the American Polarity Therapy Association. He's currently based in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Scott, a pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you, Keith. We always are curious about people's personal stories, and maybe we can jump off right there. Uh, we're just wondering if you can give you know, a, a brief or a bit of your story specifically, why did you get into the healing arts and, and how did it lead you to practicing biodynamically? Okay, that's a great question. So my original work in life back in the uh, 1980s was in the audio retail business, so basically selling stereo equipment, televisions, VCRs, that whole that whole thing. And got to a certain point and a certain level of that when I was living in Boulder, Colorado. And the company I worked for went through a large restructuring. And I was one of the folks who got restructured. So I went out to California with a friend on a vacation, which had been previously planned. And on the way back, we were driving through Wyoming in February. Wyoming in February is very cold and can be extraordinarily windy. And we were driving one afternoon outside of Laramie and all that day we had been seeing tractor trailer trucks laying on the side of the road and this thing, you know, it's really quite crazy up there sometimes. And right outside of Laramie, you know, I'm coming back to, to where I live and don't know what I'm going to be doing for a living. You know, my career in audio sales is over. And so in that very open place, I hear a voice literally in my left ear, which says, go to massage school. And that was not on my radar in any way, except for the fact that I was, I had um, worked as a practice client for someone in the Comey therapy training the prior fall and had been getting polarity therapy sessions from a friend of mine. And so, you know, I, I had never considered the healing arts as a direction to go, but one day outside of Laramie in the cold and the wind and the clouds of Wyoming in the winter, there was the sense of direction. Got back to town, got a hold of the massage school, and lo and behold, the following Monday, there was a uh, open house. So I go to the open house and talk to them about massage school, but also polarity therapy, because that did have my attention a little bit. And uh, beginning of May, I was in school studying polarity and studying massage. Polarity therapy really was my main interest. Massage was just a kind of a, a, a pathway, if you will. But the energetic aspect of polarity was what really had my attention. And part of polarity therapy 
and there's a bigger story here, of course, is craniosacral therapy. And so it's, it's uh, already embedded within. And then when my teacher, Franklin Sills, came from England, he came in the context of presenting to polarity conferences. So there's the, the cranial work as sort of a seed within polarity. And I just followed the breadcrumbs. So that's the short version of it. Thanks, Scott. I wonder if you could um, help clarify for our listeners here about um, what it is that makes biodynamics uh, distinct from other forms of cranial sacral work, just to, yeah. to get that in at the start of our conversation. Okay. Well, cranial work has a long history going back into osteopathy. In fact, most somatic arts, hand, you know, hands-on arts in the Western world, the United States, Western Europe, often have roots in osteopathy. The biodynamic perspective comes from a student of William Sutherland's. Sutherland was the osteopath who, sort of the mainstream developer of osteopathy in the cranial field, as they call it. One of his students, a gentleman named Roland Becker, who's also an osteopath, started to modify the language of the work. And he began to talk about biodynamic energy. Now, biodynamic means the activity of life. But Dr. Becker was sensitive to the emerging field of quantum physics. And so he brought in a recognition that some of the phenomena that his teacher was describing, you know, liquid light within the body, these are energetic phenomena. And so he brought in the word biodynamic energy. And my teacher was highly influenced by Dr. Becker. And so he started using the term biodynamic craniosacral therapy to differentiate a form of the work that's very much focused on the energetic dimension, not just about you know, manipulating the bones of the head, which is kind of the common view people have of craniosacral therapy. So it's it's really to focus on the energetic dimension. And I think that's a big part of why we're having the conversation today. Thanks for providing a general framework about yeah. that distinction between the biodynamic model versus other forms. Some people might be familiar with the term just craniosacral therapy, right? not, not with the word biodynamic in there. And many people do this kind of training, particularly the CST or craniosacral therapy one, most notably from John Upledger. Mm -hmm. I'm just wondering, from your perspective, do you feel that those who do study other models of craniosacral work, especially the popular CST model, are missing something that biodynamics does provide? Well, they're missing the complete picture that came out of the osteopathic world. A lot of the um, more mechanically oriented or manipulatively oriented forms of CST. It, it's almost like, you know, Sutherland's work in teaching was like a river. And if you, if you tap into the river at certain times, you get a certain perspective of what he was doing. And his work was mechanical and manipulative up until the mid-1940s. And you have to remember, he graduated from osteopathic college in 1900. So you can look at the history of the work and it's, you know, manipulative work and mechanical work, very detailed, of course. But it's not until the very, towards the end of his life, actually, that he had experience that woke him up to the inner energy of the system as the agency of healing. And then again, it was his student who then gave it the name biodynamic. So when I have taught, I have a number of students now who have gone through upledger-based trainings and other trainings of that nature. And part of the reason they come is because they recognize that they haven't learned the energetic dimension as fully as is available. You know, their their understanding of anatomy is great. Their work is fabulous. But they come looking for the piece they know is missing. You know, it, it's a both and. P 
people recognize that there's there's a missing piece and i've learned over the years what that piece is and you know offer that in the training thanks scott um i'd really like to help bring this to life for our listeners right so sure. this idea of the the inner energy of the system the energetic dimension what's your experience as a as a practitioner say you're, you're hands-on with a client you're mm -hmm. connecting to this this additional dimension right this counterpart to the physical how are you experiencing that what's your read on the system how's the information flowing to you your sensing etc that's a wonderful question so at the heart of cranial work and at the heart of biodynamic work is a, a fluctuation through the body called primary respiration some some people call it the cranial rhythmic impulse so basically there's a slow energetic breath that comes through the whole of the body an inhalation cycle and an exhalation cycle and there are different paces or waves to that without going into that in a lot of detail my job essentially is to listen to that wave of energy breathing through someone's body to listen and find the places where it's able to breathe freely through the tissue body so this is really about an integration of energy and form they're not separate i listen i feel where the body's breathing i also feel where the body's not breathing where this energetic breath is not able to move through fluids, tissues, and the energetic fields surrounding the body. When those places come to my awareness, there is a self-healing process that occurs. So it's not so much about me then needing to intervene in a particular way. The intervention is really mostly through my awareness and recognizing when the energetic breath and its intelligence has come to a place, found an unresolved trauma of, of any kind, and will clear the energy that's still being held by our own life force. So our own life force acts to protect us as best as it can. You know, whether it's something really physical like a car accident, whether it's emotional trauma, psychological, even what we could call spiritual, there's external energy that comes into our system or energy generated internally through pathology. And we see a lot of that in the lungs these days because of the various lung illnesses that are going around. So internally generated energies and our own life force is, is working to keep that contained as best as it can. But it doesn't always have the capacity to resolve these energies on its own. So the magic of being a practitioner is something in the presence that I bring or other practitioners bring in relationship to that energy initiates a healing process that's guided by the energy of our own body. That's the nutshell version of it. What it feels like is very different in every session. No two sessions are the same. Um, even if people have very similar situations, how their particular body work to hold those energies will be very different. And the process by which their body will resolve these external traumatic forces will look very, very different. And they also look different with different practitioners, too. So it's it's very much a, a relationship-based healing process. You use the word presence and awareness in response mm -hmm. to that. And we're talking about energy a lot and the field and, um, you know, you know po a popular notion of that word might be the aura, for instance. Mm -hmm. um, what is this component that goes beyond energy? You used presence and awareness. I know that in the biodynamic literature, we have words like stillness. Um, what's right. going on there? How do we account for or talk about that which is even beyond form? Well, it's relatively simple, at least after 30 or so years for me. 
So being present for me has two components. There's an energetic component and a physical component. On a physical level, it's about a physical relationship to Mother Earth. I mean, the three of us are all sitting. We're in a chair and the gravity between the Earth and our bodies keeps us from hitting our ceilings, our heads on the ceiling, right? So we, we have an, an, a, a relationship with the Earth, which of course to scientists is still mysterious. But there's a, also a resonance between my body and the earth. My body is composed of the same elements. If we look at our bones, our bones are crystallized minerals embedded in a fascial matrix. Well, if I dig into the earth underneath my house, there's rocks, there's minerals in the earth. So there's a resonance, a very deep resonance there. So part of being present is being landed and aware of my own physical body, being present in my physical body, not having my thoughts wandering, not having, not losing a uh, somatic sense of myself on a moment to moment basis, feet on the floor, sits bones on the chair. The other dimension of it is what we call the energetic midline. So the idea of a midline or you know, in yoga, it's called sushumna, you know, the central axis of energy through the body, which seems to be the organizing center of the whole thing. So the other practice that we use in this work is an awareness of our own energetic center, along with an awareness of our somatic being, being in relationship to the earth. So being aware of my midline, we can think of it simply as a beam of light through the body. Being aware of my midline, being grounded, being aware of my soma in relationship to Mother Earth, these two factors come together as the ground of being present. Awareness requires some practice, some skill and repetition to be aware of the breath of life breathing through the body takes some time. To be aware of different layers of anatomy, you know, to be able to put my hands on someone's cranium and feel well their skin, subcutaneous fascia, bones, membranes inside the skull, cerebrospinal fluid, and inside all that there's a brain. And to be able to palpate and sense the different kinesthetic textures of the anatomy of the body. That's something as awareness, which requires practice and cultivation. And then becoming aware of some of the different energetic states that we encounter. When I teach the work, I'm often sitting next to practitioner, you know, student practitioner, student client on the table. And I'll say, what do you feel now? Tell me, describe to me, what your perception is. And, you know, I'll, in a sense, tune in along with them to help them, you know, to give acknowledgement, to help them recognize different layers, things they might not be seeing yet. You know, many years ago, it was said that this work is passed from hand to hand. And so that requires, you know, in the teaching of the work, someone who can perceive these things and literally help the students tune into them as well. The overall training takes three years because it requires that kind of time to develop perceptual skills. And, you know, students come in with a, a whole variety of them, you know, from one end of the spectrum to the other. How do we help them tune into these particular layers of the system anatomically, energetically, and so forth? It all takes practice. And that's part of the awareness we're cultivating. And of course, we can step back and say, well, awareness also seems to be a fundamental characteristic of what we can conveniently call consciousness. You're speaking very uh, beautifully there about the importance of our embodiment, right? As individuals, our connection into our body and to Gaia, to the earth, which I really appreciate. Um, 
I'm intrigued. You mentioned the Nadi Shashumna, right? The vertical power current in the system. And of course, there's many other aspects of subtle anatomy that are viewed in different um, models and systems. We have the meridians in uh, the Chinese system and the chakras in the uh, in the Vedic system. I'm intrigued as, as to your thoughts, if you, if you have any, as to your connection to those aspects of the system. Do you read them or see them in any particular way, or is that not so relevant for your particular work? Well, actually, the, the final module of the foundation training is on the chakras and how to work with them within the context of biodynamic cranial work. The chakras are natural centers of organization for different frequencies of energy in the body. And they have physiological ramifications, emotional, and so forth. So we go through the whole training, and that's the last piece that we do is we work with the five elemental chakras in turn and to learn how the life energy breathes through them and how that healing process can occur in relationship to the chakras. The meridian system I don't work with. That's a whole study in and of itself. But I have trained a number of acupuncturists over the years and they will feel you know, the imagine the map of the meridian system in the body, they will feel the meridians breathing with the underlying energetic breath. And then I know some of them have worked specifically where they can start to tune into individual meridians breathing and use that as a doorway into sensing, well, which ones need to be worked on and if if they're blocked, that that can open them. If they're overactive, it can tonify them. So it all it all fits together. You know, all the different layers of the body, all the maps and models do intertwine at a certain level. But we also have to recognize that there can be a lot of complexity in learning, you know, to, to teach the meridian system in the context of cranial work would be, I don't know, a 15-year project or so. <laughs> But they, they do interface with each other. I think that's the, the key point I would make. So you train uh, a lot of people. It's in this particular approach to biodynamic cranial work, right? We work with people, you know, more specifically, let's say energy healing is a general term. And we work with the field, the chakras a lot, other kinds of uh, anatomy, et cetera. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, um, some people have a really hard time sensing the cranial rhythms, yet some of those very same people are very tuned into information that's very useful in the healing process. Like somebody might put their hands on someone else and feel no cranial rhythms, yet they are very uh, empathic or they have a lot of psychic perception, you know, clairaudience, clairvoyance, whatever. What sure. do you do as a teacher within the paradigm you're teaching when people are working with information that isn't from this more rhythmic aspect, but is useful information for the healing process. Yeah, that's, that's always a, a dance that we do. So part of it is to help people context the information they're getting. You know, oftentimes when people haven't had some sort of, um, you know, clear container of training, they're empathic, they're psychic, so forth. But sometimes it gets a little uncontained and unfocused. So sometimes, you know, so part of the work is to help them begin to differentiate where you get, where are you getting your information from? How are you validating the information? And then how can you put it into use? You know, in, in simple terms. The other part of it is that in the training, as we're teaching people to become more grounded, become more focused on their own core energetic organization, that also helps to bring focus to their inherent capacities. So people who have that, you know, different pathways of perception, if you will, in part of the training, those things can come into focus for them in ways that become more useful, you know, more, okay, I have this information, what do I do with it? Because a lot of times people who are empathic, and, you know, I've certainly seen this for years, 
they have the information, but then they're not sure how to apply it in a way that's effective for people. And I think all of us who are who are educating people in energetic work of you know different types, that's a big part of what we're doing is we're giving people focus, we're giving people containment, and then the capacity to you know really bring what they can perceive to others in a manner that's effective. The other thing I'd say is that you know people who are sensitive generally will learn to feel the cranial rhythms over time. One of the big differences in the the ways people are trained, there are a lot of trainings where you go, say, for a week, and you get your piece of paper and it says, yeah, I took a cranial training. A week isn't enough time to really learn, sometimes even to feel the rhythms. And so, you know, when when we have a three-year training, there is the time to cultivate that depth of listening. Part of it too is also working with people both in class and in private sessions to help them resolve some of the traumas and so forth that they're carrying that may separate them from their own sensitivity. You know, sometimes people can't feel things because they need to clear some of their own shock first. So that also is a part of the training. Hey, let's let's help you do some of your healing so that you can be a more effective healer. And you know, that's also foundational to the mix. Now this this brings me, Scott, to this idea of differentiation. Mm-hmm. I'd I'd love for you to talk more on how um say we have a practitioner, we have a client, right? Mm-hmm. How is it that these systems are interacting? Are we looking for distinct differentiation? Are we looking for merging? You know, what's that relationship? And how is it that um, a person as practitioner or trainee practitioner might, how their their stuff, if you will, might get in the way when working with a client or vice versa? Just intrigued about that dynamic. Well, we're not looking for merging, right? Because merging is a lack of boundaries. We are looking for resonance. So one way of thinking about this is that our human bodies are all basically the same. I mean, obviously taller, shorter, wider, narrower, you know, there's, there's unique differences. And yet under those, we all have the same number of ribs, pretty much. There's, there's people with, you know, cervical ribs on occasion. But our bodies are basically the same, and they all breathe in the same way. So when I'm working with a client, it's less about my personality or or what I'm thinking being the ground of the work. When I'm grounded and I'm on my center, my client system starts to resonate with me. And it's underneath the level of personality. There's just that, hey, there's, there's the life breath in me. There's a life breath in you and they meet one another. And, you know, my body and your body, same basic design. So there's there's layers of resonance there. And it's from that place that the meeting occurs. Now, if I'm carrying my unresolved stuff and after 30 years, there's still plenty left to work on. And certainly my client is coming, you know, because they have whatever their concern is. You know, they got bitten by a dog or who knows what. So they have their concern. To the best of my ability, I set mine aside. And my client is on the table and they say, well, you know, here's what here's what's happening for me. So, so one example I had the other day is someone came who was getting headaches, dizziness, you know, a little motion sickness, and they felt like the right side of their head was all clogged up. And it was. It was both physically kind of stuck and not breathing, and then energetically stuck and not breathing. First thing that opened up was the the suture between their temporal bone and occiput. And then as their temporal bone was able to breathe, the inner ear, which is deep in the temporal bone, which is both our hearing mechanism 
and our semicircular canals, which are balanced, the, as that bone started to breathe and also clear out energetically, their little bit of tinnitus went away and their dizziness went away. But the whole focus of the session was on the person on the table. You know, my tinnitus didn't go away. My little bit of ringing, you know, it's still still there, unfortunately, but there you go. So the, the focus, you know, the, the clarity of the session is I'm working on the person on the table and, and my concerns step aside, their concerns come to the foreground. And again, because I'm not putting energy into them, I'm not trying to make something happen, but listening to the wisdom of their body at work, the session becomes about their body. Now, obviously that's a very simple description. You know, there, you know, the idea of having to moment to moment to moment, okay, am I grounded? Let me check in, be grounded again. Oh, what's happening in your temporal bone? Oh yeah, where's where's my where's my midline again? Oh, okay, yeah, now things are breathing better. So there's also a dance of me needing to stay grounded, their system unfolding their healing process and keeping a clear relationship. One of the things I tell my students, which I think is important to share, you know, we talk about relationship in healing work. It's very rare for the average person to have an experience with another human being, to be with someone who's spending their time keeping their own personal stuff clear and just attending to the person who is the client. You know, to have the experience of, wow, this person's doing nothing but staying grounded and listening to me, you know, for 40, 50, 60 minutes. Just that aspect of the relationship is huge because most people don't have that kind of, aren't met in that way in our culture. So just to be met in that way is huge for people. Never mind all the fancy anatomy and energetics. Just the very fact, yeah, I'm here for you. True and truly skilled at being here for another person. You know, so whatever the work is, whether it's my work or your work, whatever people are doing, that alone is a huge piece of, I think, what's happening in the container. To switch gears slightly and kind of look under the practitioner's hood, really curious yeah. about your personal experiences. So for instance, as a practitioner, what comes to mind if I ask the simple question, what's the most challenging situation you've ever had arise in a session as a practitioner? Either the most or one that, that comes to mind now. Well, yeah, there are a few, there are a few highlights. One, one category of difficult experiences is working on folks in hospitals because I've had over the years opportunities to work on people in different situations when they were in the hospital. Now, obviously that's a difficult environment to work in, especially, you know, I've been in ICUs a couple of times. So, you know, there's machines, there's tubes getting stuck in people's bodies there's drugs being administered, that whole range of stuff. And in the midst of all that, I'm trying to stay grounded and listen to someone else's system. And there's a lot of interference, both directly with their body, the interventions that are happening, as well as the larger environment. Although I do have to say that whenever I've worked in a hospital, the nurses love having people come and do you know, even stuff they don't understand is healing work because they know that there's validity to it. I mean, they see that. And on a practical level, that's one less person they have to keep peeking in on every 10 minutes, you know, because they're they're overworked, really. But the, the most challenging session for me personally was doing a session in a private nursing home in Boulder, many years ago when I worked, lived up, worked up there, a friend of mine had a private nursing home and asked me to come work on one of the clients there. 
And this is someone, he was under hospice care at the time. And he had uh, Lou Gehrig's disease, very, very advanced stage of it. Not very communicative, not really communicative at all. You know, elderly and, you know, really at the end of life. And the the challenge there was I um, I kind of put my foot in my mouth. There was a hospice nurse and a hospice social worker in the room, and I told the nurse, well, you know, it's he's just afraid to leave. And she looked at me very sweetly and said, well, if you can do anything to help, go ahead. That's not part of the training, really. We don't we don't teach how to hold that container, right? Um, the long and the short of it was I, I did work with him, and what became clear was there was one last piece that he needed to let go of. He had been in the military. That was his career. And there was a message that ended up coming through to him, through me to him, which was, you've been promoted. And he just needed to hear that because he wasn't going to, as a good member of the military, he wasn't going to leave his post without permission, in a sense. And, you know, and we're, we're talking the very big sense of not leaving his post. But when the message came to me, and I was just like, oh, okay. And I just gave him that message through my hands. That was not an out loud. I felt his, you know, his system was... It was fascinating because in my mind going in, I thought, well, you know, if someone's about to leave, there's not a lot of energy around. There's not a lot of vitality. Well, that was a mistake. There's a huge amount of energy, but his life energy couldn't stay in his body because of the disease process and, you know, all of that. So there's a lot of energy around him in the field, but it couldn't stay embodied and sustain and, and heal and all of that. So, you know, my first mistake was thinking, oh, it'll be really chill. It was not really chill. It was, I was standing with my fingers on his ankles at the foot of the little hospital bed shaking because it was so intense. It was so much energy. But when I started to give him that message through my fingertips, very slowly, the whole intensity of energy just slowly 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 settle down settle down settle down and then there was one last energetic breath and it came right up his midline just as the books often describe right up the midline right out the top of his head and i looked over at the nurse and the social worker who were still in the room with me and they were both looking at me like, whoa. And afterwards, when we talked, they said, you know, we'd never seen anything like that, what you did. And I'm, I was holding on for dear life, so to speak. But there was a message that this gentleman needed to complete. So that was the most challenging session that I had. But it was also, I learned a great deal about the reality of energy and the reality of what sustains our bodies. Yeah, it's one thing to read in a book, oh yeah, this energy is breathing through the body and it sustains us. Yeah, sure, okay, great. It's another thing to feel it and then to feel it leave and go, oh, this is the energy that makes us alive. You know, it's not, it's way beyond the books, way beyond words. You know, so I... I share these words with you and, you know, trying to point to a, an experience of, yeah, it's, it's bigger than we can even talk about really. But it also has given me a great um, clarity about what's true with life energy, with biodynamic energy, whatever, you know, labels we like to slap on it. So that was, that was my most challenging session really resonate with what you're sharing there and the sacredness of that experience yeah. and also the importance as you say we can talk about this phenomenon we can read about it but the importance of the experiential right clearly you're very passionate in this in this subject uh, over 30 years now dedicated 
love to hear um, what your thoughts are on the benefits of this work as you see them, the good that this work can do, and um, perhaps even a little bit here about why biodynamics is uh, so relevant for trauma healing, if that feels appropriate for you. Absolutely. You know, I've worked in a, you know, with a lot of different circumstances, everything from, hey, my shoulder hurts. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I had you know, a semi-regular client come in, you know, still working through shoulder pain. They do body work. So, you know, there's that and they do yoga a lot. So, you know, there's ongoing input into their system. And we had a wonderful session where it got down to the, the tension pattern was being held in the periosteum of the long bones of their arm, which is the fascial covering of the bones. So that's where the tension pattern was that they were experiencing every day. And when their system got down to that layer, it's like their bones melted and opened up. So on a very physical level, this work can be quite remarkable for chronic pain, you know, specific pain patterns. I work on folks who have had hip replacement, knee replacement, things like that. You know, what, what can be done through surgery these days is remarkable, absolutely remarkable. But, you know, when they put it back together, it's not quite where it was before. But when we can get the life energy breathing through the body and even breathing through the new parts, which is fascinating, people have a different relationship. Whatever leftover pain and whatnot, misalignment from their surgery clears. But in a certain way, their, their new parts become a part of them even though they're not living parts, you know, they're titanium and plastic and whatnot, but they become integrated in a certain way. It's almost like the, the life energy can accept, okay, I have a fake hip, but it's working really well and I'm gonna go through my life with it, which is, you know, that's a fascinating, fascinating place to work with people headaches, migraines, things of this nature, uh, anything resulting from surgery. I have worked a lot with people, different kinds of surgeries and so forth. Uh, quick example, working on someone years ago who had had uh, arthroscopic surgery for a knee replacement. And during one of their sessions, re they re-experienced the surgeon putting the holes in their knee to do the surgery. So the trauma of having someone drill holes in their body, and that is traumatic, even though the end result is happy, that was able to clear out of their system. So huge range, certainly emotional and psychological clarity can come as trauma is resolved. A way to explain that is the system gets to a place where not only, you know, we talk about getting triggered by situations. You know, we get into situations and we get triggered and there's emotional reaction and biochemical reaction. Our systems can be clarified to the point where they don't, they no longer respond or react to things that in the past would have been, you know, thrown people over the edge. And I, I know that internally from my own experience of receiving the work as well as you know, doing the work with other people, that literally the whole pattern of reactivity can be resolved. And it is gone from the body. You know, it's like the body can't go there, the mind can't go there, the emotional body's like, no, nah, I can't even react to this. Trauma in this view of, of the body and, and healing is always about energetic forces primarily. And the energetic forces will then organize the nervous system in certain ways. So, you know, nowadays in the trauma world, there's, you know, the vagus nerve has a great PR team. We hear a lot about the vagus nerve. 
you know, we hear a lot about polyvagal theory. We hear, you know, all these the different neurological views, and they're all accurate. In energetic work and biodynamic work, we go underneath body physiology to, well, what's the energetic dynamic that's causing the vagus nerve to be off its normal physiological function? Well, that's this energetic input that came with a particular trauma or insult. So earlier I talked about how in biodynamic work, the, the inherent energy of the body is working to clear traumatic energies that have come in from different events. And this can go all the way back to before birth, by the way. So, you know, it's a broad scope. When these energies are resolved from the body, and sometimes, you know, it takes time. It's not always an instant thing. When these energies are resolved, body physiology comes back into its optimal state of function. So that means the vagus nerve starts functioning as it's designed to. That means the sympathetic nervous system is able to reset itself at lower and lower levels of activation. You know, someone comes out of car accidents and so forth, their sympathetic nervous system, you know, you, you drop a feather on them and it terrifies them. The energy underlying that activation gets resolved out of the system. And then they return to a healthier and healthier level of sympathetic tonus. We need a sympathetic nervous system, but it doesn't have to be so nervous all the time. But it's through the resolution of these energies that trauma, as we understand it, neurologically, psychologically, emotionally, when the energetic underpinning is resolved, the behaviors, the thoughts, the reactivity to the world, that all shifts. All levels of that will shift. The, the term is downregulate, right? All of those levels will shift because the underlying energy that's held the patterns in place over time gets resolved. So trauma is really inherent in all healing because all healing is about, well, there's, there's some sort of trauma, there's some sort of energetic input, you know, whether, whether it's, you know, a physical event, whether it's something that happened during our incarnation journey. The beauty of working energetically is, is we sort of work under the story. We don't have to, you know, kind of therapize the story or process the story. We, we resolve the energy. And then the story has no foundation anymore. And, you know, certainly people will want to talk it out and so forth, but at a certain level, it just vanishes. And we're left with, oh, well, here we are. And again, I, I want to acknowledge that I'm, you know, saying this in shorthand, really, because the actual process of healing as I'm describing it, you know, again, it's not a, a one-time deal. It's not like one session and all your trauma is gone and you, you're you're a Buddha and you live happily ever after. You know, it, it's an ongoing journey for all of us in a unique way. But I think the, the idea that there is a, an energetic underpinning to it all, and that if we're working energetically, ultimately that's what we're looking to meet and clear from people's systems. Thank you, Scott. Particular question about almost comparing models in a way. Um, one from like classical auric structure versus mm -hmm. biodynamic. And you mentioned at the beginning, we didn't we didn't get into it, but you mentioned at the beginning about how the cranial rhythms have deeper levels of um potency or deeper levels of organization. And mm -hmm. these are classically called, you know, the cranial rhythm, and then we go into mid-tide, long tide, et cetera. And they get longer and longer. Right, longer and longer, and the longer tides are said to have more organizational potency, like they're more powerful, they're more formative. 
Now that's in contrast in certain sense with traditional notions of how the energy field is organized. So mm -hmm. for instance, in field dynamics, we would talk about something like the different levels of your field being different dimensions and that they're actually, as you go higher in the dimensions, things actually get faster and those higher dimensions are actually inclusive of those that are below. Mm -hmm. Okay. So in a certain sense, we're saying things get faster as they're actually more formative. Right. So I'm wondering about this contrast between the biodynamic perspective and a, and a traditional auric perspective. How do we resolve these two? Or just what are your thoughts on that? That's a great question. I think the, the fundamental thing is that the frequencies that are being talked about in auric work are different frequencies than the tidal rhythms that we talk about in biodynamic work. So if we're talking about you know, energy per se in the field. Yeah, the model is that finer vibrations are closer to source, I think is what congruent with what you're saying. But in biodynamic work, the tide, as, as we're talking about it, the these different rhythms, fundamentally, the tide is about the formation and the ongoing sustenance and transformation of body physiology. So these, these rhythms aren't just rhythms energetically, they're rhythms specifically in relationship to each unique embodiment. And this is, this is a really important thing because there's sometimes a tendency to take the tide, you know, the mid tide or the long tide, the five minute tide and kind of universalize them. Well, this is a universal energy breathing through everything. That's not actually the case. I have tides breathing through my body that make me alive. And this is one of the things I learned really clearly from that session I did that we just talked about. There are rhythms in my body that make me alive, rhythms in your bodies that make you alive. We all have the same rhythms, and yet the rhythms in me are about this body. And at a certain point, they will breathe back to another dimension. Higher vibration, different dimension, mysterious to us here, certainly. But the tide is unique to my particular body physiology, my expression of life. And so... Yeah, it's they're deeper and slower and perhaps more potent, or at least they they seem to work in different ways. As a side note, on, on a you know, in a practical level during a session, I don't choose which tide I'm looking at or working with. I let the body choose. And this is really important. So I'm not going after, I'm not looking for well, I'm going to only work with the really slow ones because they're cooler. It's like, no, I work with what this body needs to show me for its healing process today. So that's a, for me, that's a really important point. But the tide is, is unique to my embodiment as a living being. A, uh, a Lakota teacher once explained it this way. They said, if, if you think of the creator as a campfire, which, you know, makes sense for their culture, we're all a little spark that's kind of flown off the main fire, right? And the spark has its time and then that spark goes away. So that, that's kind of our own unique thing. I think with auric field and, and when we're getting into those energies, I mean, certainly they, they relate to us individually, but then there's also the, how should we say, the more universal interconnectivity of those high frequencies of one person to another, and then more, uh, say, universal interconnections that exist. So I, I, th I think the, the best thing to do is, is to keep them separate, to not see them as the same kinds of frequencies. Of course, from a whole other perspective, all of this might not mean anything at all, but there we go. <laughs> I, lo I love this idea of um, breathing back.
to a different dimension. Yeah. Very poetic. Yeah, that's, um, that's something that the, the osteopaths talked about for years, since they would often attend to people at the end of life. And the recognition that, yeah, well, we we just breathe into a different dimension. I know we, we could talk to you for much longer <laughs> than we have been. We're coming towards the end of our time. We like to um, ask our guests to share if they potentially have any stones unturned in their, uh, in their career or in their life at this stage. You've obviously achieved a great deal. If there's anything on the horizon for you that you'd like to approach or to take on. Well, you know, on a fundamental level, one of the things I've recognized this year is um, this fall will be 30 years since I began my formal training in this work and my teacher training. And so I've spent 30 years doing this. And I say this jokingly with my clients, you know, I'm getting good at it. You know, it feels like I'm pretty consistent as a practitioner some you know, good clarity as a teacher. I'm really curious about the next 30 years. What happens within my healing work? What happens within my teaching work? There are stories of people in their 90s who were still teaching, still practicing. You know, they had been working for 50 or 60 or more years in this work. And what the evolution of their just their experience meant for them. And, you know, I'm still excited as, as you noticed earlier, and I'm very curious what happens, what happens with another 10 years and another 10 years after that, where does this work go? You know, it's way more interesting than what's happening on television. It's a, you know, a fascinating path. I don't foresee a major deviation. For me, one of the, the big pieces that I've recognized over time is that it continues to deepen. Everything about it just continues to deepen. You know, the different experiences I have, some of which I've shared, the ways in which I see students responding to the teachings where my feeling is is students are learning more efficiently getting more clear in their journey as practitioners much more readily than 10 or 20 25 years ago so all of that to me is still fascinating territory maybe maybe the thing that uh holds the most curiosity is what is the potential and capacity of this work in maybe more challenging health situations, right? So as, as time goes on and I've worked on people with different, you know, different disease processes, different, you know, uh, trauma processes and so forth to see the capacity of the work unfold and to have the opportunity to bring it to different people, different situations, and see what the potential is over time. You know, one of the arenas I've talked about is, you know, our early experiences of, you know, the process of coming here, of incarnating, and how more and more working with people in these arenas creates a clarity in someone's life that is really remarkable to to witness you know on the other hand what about you know some of the disease processes that are happening now and and what people are suffering with or you know even the you know a particular one would be you know long term covid and the the situations that are arising in people's bodies where there's a lot of somatic work that we can do to just to free up people's lungs you know, after they've been sick for a long time, there's a lot of fascial stuff happening there, a lot of energetic stuff. But just to work there has a lot of fascination for me. Never mind other other situations as well. Um, 
So yeah, there's there's so much more to come. If someone wants to work with you, Scott, how do they find you? You do have a website, scottzamrud.com. Yeah. And uh, what is it that you're doing in terms of upcoming things and in general, like uh, what what's your training? Like you mentioned, it was three years yeah. long. And uh, what would you want to share with people who are listening to this who might want to uh, find you and do some work? Well, they can find me via the website, scottzamrud.com. I, I do have a new training coming up later this year. So there will be an introductory class in August, and that information will go onto the website in the next few days. And then the training itself is, it takes place over a three-year period. It consists of four-day modules, and we meet once every three months in person. And then there's reading, anatomy studies, and practice, 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 practice in between those modules. 13 modules every three months. You know, we start at the end of 2023 and we graduate in 2026. But, you know, it's not full-time school, obviously. But it's time to integrate. You know, it's one thing to have experiences in the classroom. Then you have to go home and integrate. You have to practice. You have to read and learn more. And then you come back for another round. And that for me, that training model has been very, very helpful. So there will be information about the, you know, the dates and the cost and all of that. You know, it's certainly a training for people who are dedicated. You know, it's not a, not a simple thing. It's not a weekend or two. You get your piece of paper and go running out in the world. There's a lot of anatomy study. You know, so that can be very scary for people. But we we do it in a, you know, it's not just about stuffing our mind with pictures from anatomy books. It's here's the anatomy, let's go feel it. Here's the anatomy, let's feel it. So it's all about integrating and embodying a relationship to living anatomy in other people. And then we go through here are the different energetic states, the different tides that we feel. And we spend three years learning to feel them. So the idea is that you're not getting a little tidbit of of understanding and running out into the world. It's working to deepen people's capacity right from the get-go. So to, to learn the different tides that we work with in biodynamics, to learn the anatomy, to learn to recognize the different energetic interactions that are part of the healing process. And, you know, when once people get started, people who are who are really into it keep doing it. It's a lifelong process, and I'm sure you both are as involved as I am in your own way and in your own work. You're not going to suddenly become a shoe salesman or something. So, for people who are really dedicated and for whom you know some of these ideas and stories and experiences resonate. You know, we do have the intro class so people can get a taste of it. You know, they get a taste of, you know, here, here's Scott as a teacher and his teaching staff, and here's what the experience in class is like for a few days. So, you know, someone can come to that and get the experience and then really decide to go forward from there. And, you know, that's, I think that's important in this kind of thing. But ultimately, you know, my my goal is, to train people to do this work in the world. And, you know, when I when I studied with my teacher, Franklin Sills, I remember really clearly at a certain point, I was like, I want to learn to do what he does. That, that was kind of my guiding inspiration because I could see that there was skill and understanding and so forth there. And so my hope is to find a bunch of folks who look at me and my teaching staff and say, I want to learn to do what they're doing out of, out of their own deep inspiration, not, not just because they're, they think it's a good idea, but because their heart's like, yeah, this is, this is something important because the more people we have doing this work or any kind of healing work, you know, we, we need it. Really yeah. important sentiment. Yeah. 
Thank you for taking you. the time today and joining us. Yeah. Sharing your energy, sharing your wisdom. It's been an absolute pleasure to spend time with you. Oh, thank you so much. Likewise. Yes, thank you very much, Scott. Really appreciate um, everything you've shared. Thank you. It's wonderful to share, and I appreciate the questions. They've obviously gotten my uh, gotten my spark going today. Thanks for listening to the episode. What really supports the podcast is providing a rating and review of the show on your preferred listening platform. This helps us get the message out to a wider audience. If the topics we discussed today appeal to you, do take a moment to subscribe. Lastly, we invite you to check out our website, fielddynamicshealing.com, to learn about our training programs, private session work, and to see how we're setting the standard in contemporary energy healing. Many thanks, and see you next time.